Well, I'm glad you're here today joining us uh, for uh, what basically is the final sermon on the series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to take a Bible and turn there with me, I'd appreciate you doing that. Uh, we're going to spend just a, a little bit of time in Matthew 6, and we're going to spend a lot of time searching the Scriptures in other places to kind of uh, show uh, how, how great God is and show the dynamic uh, praise we should offer to God because of this prayer. So we are going to start in Matthew 6. We have been kind of cruising our way through the Lord's Prayer for, I think, eight or nine weeks it's been. Uh, we started with the, the passage just before the Lord's Prayer because it, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave to the thousands that came to listen to him, him preach. And, and oftentimes, I don't know if you're like me, I, I memorized the Lord's Prayer because my grandma made me memorize the Lord's Prayer, right? And I thought it was a good thing to do, and it's, it's the Lord's Prayer. And someone at the last service actually came up to me and said, you know, I, I've, I've been a Christian, I'm a new Christian, but the first thing I did is I thought, I better, I better memorize the Lord's Prayer and incorporate that into every, into every aspect of my, uh, of my prayer life. Like, just I'm going to pray that Lord's Prayer every single day. And, and after the first service, she said, I just, I, and the series, she realizes and understands how, how inaccurate that is to do that. Because just before we are given the Lord's Prayer, which is not the prayer the Lord prayed, it's the prayer the Lord gave us, his disciples, to pray when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Right before that, he, he, he shows us how, how not to pray, right? He, so he talked about how not to pray, and then, then he talked about how to pray and what to pray. And at the end of that, uh, that we should be ultimately prayer, our prayer life should be exalting God. It should be all about praise uh, to the one who is glorious and who is the king and who has all the power. So today what I'm going to do, similarly what we've done in the fa- past few uh, weeks, is, uh, is do a responsive reading again. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive into the responsive reading and into scripture. Okay, let's pray. Father, you, you are an amazing God. You are our Father in heaven. And, and God, it, it is our desire that your name would be honored as holy, that you would, you would be seen as the holy, perfect, pure God that you are. God, we want your, your name to be hallowed. God, we want you to be acknowledged uh, as king, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done God, on earth as it is in heaven. We desire to follow that. And God, we know that you supply everything we need for every day and that you forgive us. God, and we are to forgive others around us. God, help us as we, as we continue to navigate this text to, to not be led into the, into the temptation of, of making, making much about us and, and, and wanting our own glory, but to glorify you in all that we do. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, and we thank you for that. We ask that you would be with us during this time. You would open our hearts and minds to be receptive to your word. God, that you would, your spirit would, would convict us of sin and convince us of truth, that you would challenge us and you would change us that you would shape us more and more into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so with our responsive reading today, if, if uh, David, you want to pull it up, <coughs> I will read the, the white portion, right? The, and you read the, in unison, right? Do this together. Don't go too fast. Don't go too slow. Do this together. You read the, uh, the yellow portion, okay? This is the Lord's Prayer and the verses just, just uh, before it. Whenever you pray... Because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. But when you pray, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think. One more, Davy. When you pray, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. 
Don't be like them. Therefore, you should pray like this. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. All right. So if you want to take a look with me in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to just briefly go over this uh, as, a, as a catch up. And uh, I want to help catch you up with where we've been. Maybe you haven't been a part of that. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning uh, there in, in the text. I'm just going to kind of skate through this. I'm not going to read it. Uh, but, but again, Jesus starts off. If we want to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, Lord, teach me how to pray. He says, okay, I'll, I'll teach you first of all, first off how not to pray. That's what he says, right? Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees who, who love to get their reward because they're in shimmering clothes and they stand on the street corner and say, look how great I am. Don't be like them, right? And then it, then it goes on and says, also, don't pray like the Gentiles. We're not talking about the religious people. We're talking about the, the kind of quasi-religious people who pray to the mountain or pray to the idols or pray to the forest or whatever they're praying to. Don't pray like them because the way they pray is that they babble. They pray repetitiously that they might be heard for their many words. That if they say it in the right order or, or enough times, then their God, whoever it is, would listen and hear, and they would be rewarded that way. And what Jesus says is, don't, don't pray like that. God knows what you need before you ask. What he's wanting is not babble he, or repetition. He wants your heart. And then that brings us to this, then, therefore, is how you should pray and into the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that all of us, probably most of us, at least I am, have been guilty of preening, or, or repeating to God in a repetitious way. Our Father in heaven, how, you know, I, I did that. And without any idea what the words were meaning or what that was coming from my heart, I prayed a prayer to God that he told me just before that prayer, don't do it that way. So as you and I have been going through the Lord's Prayer and, the Lord, and allowing the Lord to teach us to pray, there's, there's some depth to this. Amen? I mean, every single week, every line that we read is, is this deep, rich, theological exegesis on Scripture. It's just like, what just happened? What did we learn? God is wrecking our hearts, tearing us down to humble us before him. So that our hearts, when we approach him with prayer, will be ready to pray how he asks us to pray. So he says, this then is how you should pray. You pray to our Father in heaven. And so much richness there, right? First of all, it's, it's God Almighty in heaven, right? The God of the heavens and the earth, the God that created the whole universe and everything in it, the one that's supreme and reigns sovereignly over everything. That's who we're praying to. But not only is he that God Almighty, he says, I am your Father. I'm not, you don't have to treat me as this God who's far off in this like existential way. Like I am, a, I am a God who is personal and compassionate and relatable. I want to be the most compassionate, loving Father that I can be to you. And, and we talked about how unfair it would be to compare God, the Father, with our fathers, our earthly fathers. I mean, I have a good dad, and some of you have great dads, and, and, but some of you don't. How dare we compare Jesus or our Father in heaven with our fathers, right? I, as a father, don't want, don't want my daughter to think God is exactly how I am, although I want to show the example the best I can of God the Father. But he reigns supreme with that title, and he is able to be our father. And he said, it's our father. Pray, our father. There's a beauty to that. I, I, you know, if some of you 
come from big families. Some of you come from small families. Some of you have, have, have been a Christian for a long time, some, some for a little bit of time. And, and what, what you found maybe is that you found unity in your family because they're Christians too. Or maybe you found disunity and separation. Maybe you found some division because you, you became a Christian. The great, greatest thing, one of the greatest things about becoming a Christian, a Christ follower, and trusting Christ as Savior is that He, God, grafts you in to a new family. A family that is our family, right? Because he is now our father who is in heaven. What a, what a rich thing that is, theologically, that we, our, I, he is our father. It's not just my father, it's our father. We are a family. And, and there's a lot of implications to that within church and, and fellowship and being a part of each other's lives. There's, there's a depth to that that's really important. But he's our father in heaven. He says, our father in heaven, your name should be honored as holy. And, and so this is the first petition. They, they address God. Or Jesus says we should address God as our Father in heaven. Then there are three petitions given with a tagline right at the end that, that relates to all three. That tagline is on earth as it is in heaven. So we're asking God, God, we want your name to be honored or revered as holy on earth as it is in heaven. Because it's not revered here as it is in heaven, is it? We want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Because it's not. His kingdom is not here on earth as it is in heaven. And we want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven because we know that God's will is perfectly accomplished in heaven, but it is not perfectly accomplished here. And one of the things we talked about is, is the excitement that there will be a day, right? There will be a day where we will see his kingdom come and his will be done and, and that he will be hallowed or his name will be revered as holy on earth as it is in heaven. He will establish his kingdom. And there's a hope in that. And then we move on from that. We, we've exalted him and said, that you, you're to be holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we go into this place of, God, now, now I need you to help me. We, we, we have these prayers of petition. In, in a verse, uh, where are we at? Verse number uh, 11. So 11b. Give us today our daily bread. So we start petitioning God. Now, some, some people think, well, now it's all about you, isn't it? You're petitioning God. It's all about you, what you want, what you need. Here, here's the great thing about that, is what we understood is we realized when we pray like this, God, give us today, give us today our daily bread. We are going before God Almighty, the Father, as a creator, and we are coming to him as the creature. We are utterly dependent on him for the necessities of life and provision of life. That, that it should humble us even more to come before him and, and, and how gracious he is as a father to give us our daily bread. And we talked about daily bread being the word, right? But we talked about daily bread also being daily, enough for today, that Jesus was the bread that came down from heaven, that Jesus is the bread of life, and that we have life in him. And that, that, that provision, that promise that he gave us was a promise that he would be our daily bread today. That promise is for today, and how important it is for us to realize and understand we have to stop thinking about, well, man, I can't wait for this day to get done. I can't wait for this day to be over. So much trouble, so much hardship, so much stress, whatever it might be. I can't wait till fill in the blank. And what we're doing is we're, we're pushing aside God's promise to, that he says, I will be enough for you today. And that promise has an expiration, doesn't it? And I said that last time. The promise of that expiration, the expiration of that promise is today. Tomorrow, you can't claim today's promise anymore. You can't have that promise again until tomorrow becomes today. And then we get to enjoy that promise again. So I, I showed you my, my daughter's backpack that her mother and I prepare and get ready and send, send out uh, with my daughter to school every day before she goes to school. 
we don't put everything she's going to need for spring break or spring, the spring semester, right? We put everything she needs. In that backpack is every single thing that she needs for that day and nothing, nothing more. When she walks out that door, she's confident she has what she needs, and oftentimes she helps us prepare that. And she's confident that she has what she needs for that day. We'll deal with tomorrow, later. But today you have enough. And then it goes on. It says, so give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, in verse 12, as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's this correlation. As we come to Christ, I mentioned this during baptism, we don't earn our way to forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to accomplish what God accomplished through Christ on that cross. Unless you want to spend that time there yourself. There's nothing that we can do. Jesus paid it all. And when we come to him in faith and say, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm empty, I can't accomplish anything on my own, and we come to him in faith and believe that he accomplished everything for us, we have eternal life and we have the forgiveness of sins and we have a righteousness given to us that was never, ever yours or earned. It was always his, but he gave it to you because you believed, because you had faith. And see, that faith in Christ gives you a righteousness and a forgiveness of sin. And what it should do, it is now an outpouring of our life. If we have been forgiven, we will live forgiven and we will forgive. See, forgiveness is a fruit that comes from being forgiven. And if you are holding bitterness, if you're holding grudges, if you're angry, if you're not dealing with relational issues and, and, and fixing those things and resolving those things in your heart, you and I should question whether or not we actually have forgiveness from the Father at all. Because what it's saying is the fruit of the forgiveness from the Father is going to be forgiveness in our hearts towards others as well. See, that's not just a repetitious prayer anymore, is it? It's pretty deep. It carries on. It says, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Did you know the evil one's out there prowling like a roaring lion, sneaking up, trying to, trying to find an opportune time when your guard is let down where he can pounce on you and where he can devour you? So when we go to God in prayer, we say, God, I acknowledge I still have issues in my heart. I still have desires in my heart. I still have temptations in my heart that are going to lead me somewhere else besides you as, your, as a good father who's in heaven. So God, help. Don't bring me into those trials. God, if at all possible, no trials, no trials, no temptations. But God, if I'm there and if I'm in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a hardship, please, Lord, while I'm there, protect my heart and deliver me from the evil one and what he has planned for me there. God, we mentioned this last week, God will bring us into times where we will have trials. God brings trials. He doesn't tempt us, but he brings us into trials. And those trials are meant to produce more faith in us and growth in us and maturity in us. But in the middle of those trials, what God is intending for our good, Satan is intending for our destruction. And that's why we pray, God, if at all possible, don't lead me into those trials. But if there, please deliver me. Keep me safe from the evil one that desires to devour me and destroy <clears throat> and then finally it says in verse, let's see, where, uh, but deliver us from the evil one. And then it should say in your Bible, right, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, we're talking about that today. We're going we're to talk about that text. A lot of you have Bibles, and a lot of you mentioned that already. Like, Brandon, I'm following along with you. It's just, you keep saying this verse, and it's not in the Bible. It's not there. That, that passage is not there. Uh, for many of you, it's not there, or it's there with a little footnote or a little note on it. Uh, or it's a footnote in your Bible. My footnote, I'll, I'll read it. My footnote says this. Some later uh, manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So here, here's the first point I want us to understand. As we talk about this doxology, it's called the doxology. It's, an, it's a praiseworthy moment. It's a moment of praise 
to God at the end of a prayer. And we see this throughout Scripture in different, different places. As we talk about this doxology, uh, we're going to look at the, the textual issues with it. But I, I want us to understand this. Number, point number one is in your notes. right? Praise and prayer are inseparable. Praise is inseparable from prayer. And what I want us to see today is as we exalt God into the place that he should be in our lives over all of us, when we approach him in prayer, it's no longer self-centered. It's, it's all about uh, Christ being Christ-centered and exalting God to the place that he deserves. In fact, I'll argue today that we can't honestly go before God with our prayers and ask him for what we're asking him for if we don't exalt him properly. Because if we don't have a proper ex- exalted view of God, then we're going to just, might as well be talking to the wall. Because God is the one that's to be exalted. And it's only because he is God that we can come before him with our prayers and needs. Otherwise, we might as well, go into, might as well be going to one another and asking for help for things. But God asks us to, to exalt him. So we're going to look at that. So you got number one, praise and prayer are inseparable. All right? So we are going to turn, I want, to, I want you to turn while we're going into this from Matthew. Uh, go to Second, no, First Chronicles, please. The book of First Chronicles, uh, much more towards the front of the Bible. First Chronicles, chapter twenty-nine. It's at the very end of that that book. So, uh, what I said before, there's there's a bit of a textual problem here, and and here here's what I'll, I'll explain to you on this. Uh, what we're looking at here today is the doxology. It's the last part of verse thirteen. Some of your Bibles show that. Some of your Bibles show it as a footnote. Um, and maybe some of you that don't have footnotes at all don't have it, and you're wondering, where is this? Where is this passage? And maybe some, for some of you, you're like, I remember memorizing this a long time ago. We even did a responsive reading, but I can't see it here. So there, there's a, a bit of a textual problem, um, and it's, it's very important to understand that, that most of, uh, in Christendom, most of what would be considered very important and earliest manuscripts do not have this in it. So the earliest manuscripts don't have it in it. Now, there are manuscripts later that do. But as you're talking about translating and, and contextualizing Scripture, we're trying to be as accurate as possible. So no, normally, Bible translators uh, will not include it in the Scripture text, but will footnote it. Because, okay, maybe somewhere, I don't know, we want to make sure it's there, but it wasn't in the earliest texts possible. So um, there's widespread belief among most scholars that this doxology, this ending, was not in the original prayer, but was added afterwards because it was a customary thing uh, for Jews to include a doxology at the end of their prayer. And they thought this would be, this would be so fitting. And, and we're going to see in a moment why they thought that. Okay, so there, there's, there's, while it might not be uh, textually accurate, it certainly is traditionally accurate, and it certainly is harm, harmonizing with the context of Scripture. Um, so there's a textual problem with the passage, but there's not a contextual problem with the passage. Does that make sense? Yeah, although it may not be there, the, the line, just like I read a commentary, or you read a, a book uh, you know, that, that re- centers around Christianity, there might be a great quote from somebody that's totally able to be backed up by Scripture. That's kind of what we're talking about contextually. So we, we can harmonize this, this line, this doxology, with the rest of what is actually in Scripture. So they're found throughout. So we're gonna, in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Let's look at verses 10 through 13 together. And, and I want us to see, you know, keep in mind that Matthew, and even if you flip back and forth if you want to, Right, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's, let's see what is in this doxology. Then David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David said, may you be blessed, Lord God of our father Israel, from eternity to eternity, right, forever. Yours, God, is the greatness and the power 
and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on the earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom uh, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give thanks, we give you thanks, and praise your glorious name. You see the commonalities there, the, the, how it's harmonizing with what we see in, in, added in Matthew? Right? For yours, it's, all of those qualities are attributed to God. They are yours. Yours is what? The kingdom we see in there illustrated. The kingdom and the greatness, right? The, the majesty. We see the power, that all the power belongs to the Lord. We see the glory belongs to the Lord. He, he is the glorious one. Uh, in this passage in, in First Chronicles, and, and there's an eternality to it, right? So, so you are you are the Lord uh, from eternity to eternity. So so as far as the Matthew text, uh, it may not be scripture, but it certainly harmonizes contextually with what script, what the heart of scripture says, and what the heart of scripture is saying. As David prays this prayer, this doxology is that praise is inseparable from prayer. And see, for us to have that view, when we go to God in prayer, that's why Jesus is teaching us to pray. He Go to God in prayer saying, Our Father in heaven, who are we going before? We're going before the God of the universe. It's His power. It's His kingdom. It's His glory. And it will be that way, what? Forever. That's the God we're going to. That's, that's our Father who is in heaven. So there's a depth to that and a richness to that. And there's a praise to that. Every time we get down on our knees... That should be our motivation. The text in Matthew would say, for yours is, right? All of the things we just said, God, all of those things, we do that because you are God. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And there's some, some things in this Lord's Prayer that we do see in the scripture that Jesus did give us that came out of his lips. We see these attributes of this doxology, right? We see that... Uh, he, Jesus taught us to pray that God's kingdom would come, right? Because His kingdom, His is the kingdom. The prayer also revealed that uh, God's power, right, by, by showing us that He is the king, His kingdom, right, His will will be, will be done, uh, that He's the provider and the protector, the defender of us, the deliverer. That's His power shown. It, it also shows us His glory, right, by revealing to us that He is our Father who is in heaven, and his name should be revered as holy. That's God's glory. We see God's glory and God exalted in that way. So all of those attributes in the greatest of tradition, the Jewish doxology that was added, still harmonizes with Scripture and what Scripture says. And, and, and is consistent with what Jesus would say from his heart to us and let us know about. Right? While we should never say something is Scripture that, that is not or may not be, it is not wrong to recite the Lord's Prayer with this doxology at the end of it, or to benefit from this tradition, as long as we understand the words very well may not be Scripture themselves. But the heart of that is all throughout Scripture. Even if this closing doxology is not from Christ's lips, it certainly reflects His mind in the heart of Scripture, right? what He has a heart for, which should return our focus. Right, This should return our focus to praise and exaltation of God, that we should lift up God and honor God and revere God and, and, and show him as holy and glorify God. Praise 
is always an appropriate response to the provision and protection of God. It's always an appropriate accompaniment to prayer. All right? Now, we've dealt with that. We're going we're to break down this doxology and, and show the, the depth of it and the richness from it, of it from other parts in Scripture. Okay? So number one was praise is inseparable from prayer. Number two is this. We're going to deal with the aspects of the doxology. First, number two is his is the kingdom, we see. right? His is the kingdom. Turn with me to Psalms, chapter 103, if you would, please. Right about in the middle of the Bible, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So Psalms 103. You know, we, we saw a wonderful tribute in a video honoring uh, and thanking our, our veterans for their service and the sacrifices made. Uh, and, and it's amazing. It's humbling to, to know that we live in a country where, where people have gone before us and are going now uh, fighting for those freedoms. And, and that makes me proud to live in this country, that people would raise their hand and say, I will defend those freedoms. You know, and, and the United States is said to have a government that is, is by the people, and it's of the people, and it's what? For the people. And that's rich. And sometimes that's laughable, and sometimes it's not, right? We get that. There's, there's all kinds of craziness that ensues with our government and with, with the United States. But it's, it's still one of, the, it's one of the greatest countries in the world. And, and, one, and so many men and women fight to defend the freedoms that we have day in and day out. But when we, when we talk about kingdom, we, we, we talk about something different, don't we? Uh, the, this kingdom we're talking about, his being the kingdom, this kingdom, uh, it, it's not so. It's not like it is here in America, right? Uh, and this kingdom, it is not a kingdom of the people. It is a kingdom with a king. It is ruled by a king. And God does not rule at the cons- consent of his subjects, you and I. God does not rule and reign. Uh, he has sovereign authority over everything. He is sovereign. He is pure. He is holy. There is no need even for checks and balances because he is that pure and holy. God is sovereign. And he extends his reign through, from his kingdom. He extends his reign over me whether or not I voted for him. Amen? God does not need our vote. There's no hanging chads going with Jesus, right? He is God. He is sovereign. His, this is his kingdom. Let's look at uh, Psalm 103 and see, see how that uh, is, is shown. Psalm 103, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll go through uh, 19 together. My soul bless the Lord, and all that is within me bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all of your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things, like uh, your youth is renewed like an eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses and, and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower on the field or of the field, and when the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place, its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love uh, is toward those who fear him, 
and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant and remember to observe his precepts. Now, I just think there, that, that so richly shows the gratefulness and the gratitude towards God, even as established and shown in Matthew from Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. All of that is present there. All of that is present. But, but we're talking about this, this God who, when we talk about prayer, remember, it's, it's coupled with praise. And when we talk about the kingdom, it says his kingdom, right? He, he's the one who rules. So let's look at verse 19, the last part of the, the text today. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all, all, his kingdom. So when we talk about his kingdom, we are talking about God Almighty, the God of the heavens and the earth, his kingdom being, being the rule and reign over all kingdoms. Yeah, there might be little kingdoms, little K kingdoms, right? Little kingdoms that he allows or even he raises up. But at the end of it all, at the end of the day, he, in his kingdom, reigns and rules supreme over all. Don't you see, that's why we go to him in prayer. We don't go to another king, another kingdom. We go to the king that has a kingdom, his kingdom, that is established and will reign and rule forever and ever. Number three, we look at the, uh, the aspect of the doxology of his power, right? His is the power. That's number three. His is the power. Uh, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 if you would. I want to check that text out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians. Galatians, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. As we do that, as we talk about power, I, I want you to understand that we're not talking about an arbitrary power. It's a power one gets once in a while. The arbitrary power, uh, is that like a storm, right? Or maybe like an animal would have, or even like these fires that have arbitrary power to ravage and cause total chaos and destruction. But, but in the, even in those, that power, it's arbitrary, it's temporary. It, it will subside, it will go away, and it will, it will, the power will be gone. God's power is not like that. We're talking about a power that is unconquerable, right? A power that is triumphant, a power that is fulfilling. That's the kind of power we're talking about when we, when we talk about His is the power. It's the power that comes from the one, right, who has His kingdom that rules over everything. It comes from the one who is the master of all. It comes from the only one that can extend saving grace to us. So important for us to understand that. You know, we, we spend a lot of our time trying to, to look good and to, to get better and to do better, and, to, and, and a lot of people spend a lot of their life trying to earn God's favor. Knowing that deep down, yeah, they're not, they're not totally great, but they try their best to be a good person and try to figure it out and, and hope, and they hope for the best. You know, this is, it's just backwards from what Christianity teaches, what Christ proclaims. Christ proclaims, yes, you and I indeed are sinful, that our heart is wicked and evil and beyond a cure. Nothing can help that. That You and I cannot do enough good to outweigh the bad or, or to erase the bad from our life. And that's why, that's why God said, I'm, I'm going to come down in human form, in the form of Jesus, and I'm going to do what you couldn't do. I'm going to come down and, and accomplish what you could never accomplish on your own. And Jesus went to the cross. Allowed, he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, to be crucified, to die in our place, because that's the death that we deserve because of our sin and our separation. But God allowed himself to die for us. And not only did he die, the power of God that is his power is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
and he gave, gave Jesus, and gives, vic, gives Jesus victory and us victory over sin and over death forever. There's an etern- eternality to that, too, that we, we can trust Christ in that. So let's look at this, this passage of Scripture and see this power and the richness that's, that's proclaimed there. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So there's an amazing strength and power through the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives us in, in drawing us to himself and in, in knowing that in, in the depth of who I am in my core, I am in need desperately of a Savior because I can't save myself. So in this power of God that he gives us this hope and this knowledge and he calls us to, to hit this glorious inheritance, right? We would be grafted in again to our family and it's our fa- family that has a father who is in heaven. He grafts us into a family, a faith family that's trusted in Christ as Savior by his power. And, and, what, uh, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? The power continues to reside on us and in us. And that is the mystery, is that is the power of Christ dwells in me. And that my life now looks differently because of the power of his spirit. And he says it goes on according to the mighty working of his strength. Again, all of this goes to him. It's his power, his strength. It's all about him, not about me and how good I am. Not about how, how much I got figured out. It's about what did Jesus do? How did God convict your heart and stir in you by his power and call you into a saving relationship with him? And then in verse 20, he says, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler or authority, power and dominion, uh, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. See, every, every power, every authority, everything is lesser than Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and he, his is the kingdom, and his is the power. God possesses all the power on, in heaven and on earth, power to create, power to save, power to enable you and I as Christ followers to, to live a life consistent with his teaching. And the word here, it's interesting, this word power in both the additional doxology in Matthew, where for his is the kingdom and the power, and, and here in this text in Ephesians, power, the word comes from the Greek word dynamis, from which we get, as an, as an English word, dynamite, right? So we're trying to, to take from a word that means huge, amazing power to describe what happens when a stick of dynamite goes off, right? And that's the power that we're talking about, this power, this explosive power of God's presence and His Holy Spirit in our hearts to challenge our soul and to change us and to conform us into the image of the Son. It's only by His power alone can that be done. So there are all kinds of arbitrary powers out there. And you and I maybe have our own stories, of, and maybe you're in it today, where you've been seeking some power, some kind of power, maybe even call it a higher power, but you've been seeking some power to get out of the, the rut that you're in. Like, I, I need to change. I know I, I can't do it without, without something. So we seek it in all kinds of ways, right? I want to be a good person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to donate my time to charity. I'm going to serve at any opportunity I can in my community, and that, will make, that power will be enough to take care of this, this chasm that I feel is a separation between me and God. Well, guess what? It can't ever fill. It won't ever be the power that you need. And maybe it's like I, I'm just so, so tired and so, so broken and so just worn out from this whole thing. I'm just going to drown my sorrows out. Right? Maybe we'll do that with alcohol, right? Or food or sex or 
whatever, drugs, whatever it might be, gambling, maybe it's shopping, whatever, all kinds of idolatry that we, we put in front of God. And see, so we place these things as God and say, they have the power. Guess what? They do not have power. Now, they do have some power. And I've seen, I mean, you and I have both seen how these things and their power have ruined people's lives. They've ruined them. And there's that, that hole inside is still absolutely void and empty. It's never actually taken care of and filled. His is the power. When we say His is the power, we are acknowledging that He is the only one that can calm that storm in our heart. He's the only one that can heal that brokenness. He's the only one that can repair those scars, bind our wounds, and forgive us our sin. That's the power. Number four, we see in this doxology that His is the glory. His is the glory. Uh, we should be, we're in Ephesians, go to Psalm chapter 97 again. Go to Psalms again, chapter 97. God in His glory. Remember, remember back in, in uh, it was in Exodus, and when Moses goes up on the mountain and, and he sees God in, in a form as the what, burning bush, right? It's like the glory and radiance of God, and he's like, I want to see you. I just want to see you even even pass by. He's like, if you saw me, you'd be dead, right? My glory, you can't see that and live. This is what we're talking about. As as His is the glory, everything that would ever be about any kind of glory is all due. To him. So it's, as we look at this text in, in uh, Psalm 97, beginning in verse 5, I want us to see what the glory of God, the presence of God, does. Psalm 97, beginning in verse 5, going through 9. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens proclaim His righteousness. All the peoples see His glory. You see, God's glory is clearly on display and being seen and, and visible by what has been made. God's glory is all around. And at the, at, at the presence of God, the mountains melt like wax. The heavens proclaim His righteousness and all the people see His glory. And then look at verse 7. All who serve carved images, those who boast in idols, will be put to shame. Now stop there for a minute because the next verse is really great, the next part of that. But when we trust in idols... We need to understand that those things will be put to shame by the glory of God. If we want to pack ourselves idols in our pockets, in our backpack, in our whatever, and say this is going to be fulfilling to me, we will be sorely disappointed. Because the next part of that verse says, all the gods must what? Worship Him. Every one of those idols that you and I carry around, that we pack in our pockets, that we think are powerful and glorious in of, of themselves, guess what? They will also melt before His presence, and they will bow down and worship him. He is glorious. His is the glory. There is no other glory anywhere else, anywhere except in Him. Zion, in verse 8, Zion hears and is glad. Judah's villages rejoice because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth, the whole earth. You are exalted above all the gods. This is what we're talking about. When, we, when, when Jesus is, is encouraging us to, to pray this way, he's saying, I want you to get before God the Father, who is your Father, and understand that He is the glorious one, that His is the kingdom, and His is the power, and His is the glory forever. 
That, that is the heart of Scripture. Whether or not that text should be right there or not, we see it in Scripture everywhere. That His is the kingdom, and His is the power, and His is the glory. And, and, and He deserves all of that. We cannot give that up and give that, or we cannot take that from him, rather. We cannot put that in our pocket and say, I want to be glorious. And that is the temptation. So for us to model prayer like that is to say, God, I'm tempted by Satan at every corner to, to seek my own glory, to seek my own honor. I want, I want to put, my, put stuff around me that will honor me and make me look glorious. Think about Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden, there, there's Adam and Eve, have everything they need. God is still... It's his kingdom, it's his power, it's his glory. It's all his still. But they have everything they need. They get to walk with God in the garden. Things are wonderful. And the serpent comes and tempts them. And, and, and he, he lies. He says, did God really say? He tries to trick them, right? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of this tree? Right? And, and, and he continues to go on and say, basically, God's, God's lying to you. You're not going to die if you eat that fruit. He just doesn't want you to what? To be like him. To know truth and to be like him. He doesn't want you to be glorious. He doesn't want you to have the glory and the honor and the respect that you are deserved. And as human beings, we, we go through that a lot, don't we? We have these issues of pride sometimes. People don't respect us when they talk to us and they treat us poorly. And, and, we, and they, it, it's tough. We, we well up with this issue of like, I deserve better. You better respect me. I, I deserve the glory here. And, and certainly, I think there's a level of respect that we, we should give to our parents. They say, honor your mother and father, right? There is a certain level of respect that we should offer to people. But when we don't get it, too bad. Guess who does always? God. And that's where our affections should lie anyway. Any respect or glory that was given to us should be laid down at him saying, you, Lord, are the glorious one. I don't want to make this an idol. You're the glorious one. You get the credit. You deserve the praise. I do not want to take that from him. But the temptation is still being presented to us to take the glory for ourselves, that we could be the ones that get the credit. So we must pray and praise God, acknowledging that we have no glory in us and that God is glorious beyond our ability to even express it. We don't even know how to express it, right? The mountains melt like wax, what should we do before the Father, our Father, who is in heaven? Paul said in Romans chapter 11, he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. Amazing, right? All things. It's just like he is central to all. And it says, To him be the glory forever. Amen. Number five. This final aspect of praise in this doxology is this. It is His alone forever. It is His alone forever. We talk about kingdom, we talk about power, we talk about glory, but it is His alone forever and from forever, by the way. Uh, while you're in Psalm, uh, just go back a couple pages to Psalm 93. Just one page, it looks like. Psalm 93. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. It's beautiful, isn't it? It shows, it shows the centrality of God and, his, and, 
and who he is, that he is unshakable. His throne and his rule is unshakable. He will never be dethroned, and he has been that way from the beginning and will be that way for all of eternity. And so for you and I to come to him and, and, and pray to him, we must say like what John did in John chapter 3. He said, he, God, must increase, and I must decrease. I want God to increase and for me to decrease because he is the exalted one. And, and the glory and the power and the kingdom are all his alone forever. And that, see, that's the attitude. That, that couples, again, goes back full circle. That praise, praise of God, exaltation of God, knowing that he, his is the kingdom and his is the power, his is the glory forever. It's his forever. Should put us flat on our face in humility before him saying, oh God, how I need you. How I need you. I can't do this on my own. As we fi finalize this and finish out this, uh, this text, I want to read a little, it's a writing. I'm going to read a writing to you, okay? It's not necessarily a poem, but it's, it's really uh, it's a great summary of the Lord's Prayer. and It's an, an unknown author. Talking about the Lord's Prayer, our Father in Heaven, starting there. I cannot say our if I live only for myself in a spiritual watertight compartment. I cannot say Father if I do not endeavor each day to act like His child. I cannot say, who art in heaven, if I am laying up no treasure there. I cannot say, hallowed be thy name, if I am not striving for personal holiness. I cannot say, thy kingdom come, if I am not doing all in my power to hasten that wonderful day. I cannot say, thy will be done, if I am disobedient to him or his word. I cannot say, on earth as it is in heaven, if I will not serve him here and now. I cannot say, give us today our daily bread if I am dishonest or an under-the-counter shopper. I cannot say, forgive us our debts if I harbor a grudge against anyone. I cannot say, lead us not into temptation if I deliberately place myself in its path. I cannot say, deliver us from evil if I do not put on the whole armor of God I cannot say thine is the kingdom if I do not give to the king the loyalty due him as a faithful subject. I cannot attribute to him the power if I fear what men will do. I cannot, cannot ascribe to him the glory if I am seeking honor only for myself. And I cannot say forever if the horizon of my life is bounded completely by the things of this time in life. It's so rich, isn't it? We have gone through a, a, a deep text the last eight or nine weeks. And uh, each, like I said earlier, each one of these lines, each one of these petitions to the Lord has been this rich theological lesson in and of itself. And I hope that you're encouraged by that. As we ask the Lord to teach us to pray, He will continue to give us this model prayer, not for repetition's sake, but a prayer that if we really let it examine our hearts and examine our hearts before we go into prayer, we would see it as dangerous. And we would see it as hopeful. And we would see it as compassionate. And we would see it as reverent. And with it, it carries along the good news of the hope in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. My prayer for myself, my prayer for you, is that the Lord's Prayer would humble, challenge, and change us all. Amen. Would you stand with me and, and pray?
Father, we are so grateful that you, you are our Father and you are the God of the universe. It is certainly humbling to be able to come before you and, and God, as we're humbled, we should, we should exalt you in praise. We should lift up your name because it is holy. And God, then we desire, we desire that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We desire, Father, that you would provide for our needs every day that you have promised to provide our daily bread. God, help us to, to be people who forgive others because you have forgiven us and to keep us from temptation, the temptation to, to bring, bring our own glory and to, to get credit. But we, God, we want to lay that down because ultimately we approach you because yours, yours is the kingdom. You're the king. You reign supreme. You're sovereign. Yours is the power through your Holy Spirit to, to change our hearts and to forgive us our sin. And yours is the glory that you deserve and will always deserve alone. You alone are God. Humble us every day to come before you in that way and still come before you as a compassionate father who cares deeply for his children. We love you and we honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close our service today, it's, it's always closed with a song because it's an opportunity for us to respond. And we should respond from our heart to Jesus and what he's stirring inside of us, how he's, how he's convicting us of sin or how he's, how he's telling us we need to change. May, and maybe it's, you just need to sing it out. You need to sing with all you've got because he is so amazing. And you want to sing that his is the glory and his is the power and his is the kingdom forever. And you want to sing that song. And maybe you need to say, I need to, I need to get humble before God right now because I have been taking the glory. I've been taking the credit. Or I've been praying prayers that have no meaning to God and thinking he'll accept it. Get your heart right before Jesus. And do that maybe right, right there where you are. And Maybe you need to pray. I always stand up front. If someone, someone wants to come up and have prayer, and I can encourage you, I'd love to pray, pray with you. Whatever God's asking you to do, however God's stirring in your heart to respond, we ask you to respond now as we sing.